You can turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Um, first of all, let me tell you, it's, it's just so wonderful to, to fellowship with you guys. And just to, uh, I mean, we're getting closer and closer as a group and as a family. And I love the openness and, and you know, the spontaneity. I've, I've had some conversations in past, been thinking about in past, uh, the nature of what's going on in our culture, in our country, the enemies, attacks stacked up. You know, Jesus said, a kingdom divided can never stand. And you look at all these competing ideologies that are going on in the world today, whether it's religious, Islam, whether it's political, socialism, whether it's cultural, the LGBTQ stuff, they all seem to be divided against each other and fighting against each other. But you notice that there's one thing that they have in common. They are all antichrist. They are antichrist. And uh, First John talks about there are many antichrists in the world. And the one thing that they have in common is that they are anti-Christ. They are anti the righteous works of God and God's justice and God's righteousness that is seen through Christ. That's what they want to shut down. And when you, you scratch your head going, what the heck is going on here? If you look through those eyes, you will see the why of the lie and what they're trying to do. We are called to take a stand in this anti-Christ culture in this antichrist world. We have been redeemed from this world. And, and that's a very interesting word to look at in, in the word of God, this whole idea of redemption. I said it very briefly just last night, and there's kind of two aspects of it. One that I was aware of, that I had thought about a lot, and that most of us are aware of, which is exemplified by the book of Ruth, which is the redeeming, the buying back. Uh, one of the definitions of, of redeem is to gain or regain a possession that had been lost. And when you look at the book of Ruth, you see this story of how this Moabite woman who is converted to the Hebrew belief system through her uh, her uh, mother-in-law, Naomi, and she marries a Hebrew guy, how she comes back to Israel after the death of her husband, and she ends up being redeemed back by her kinsman redeemer, Boaz, to extend the progeny of, of that family life line, takes her as his wife and, uh, you know, does the right thing, the righteous thing. And if you look in Leviticus, I think it's Leviticus 26, you'll see actually the Mosaic commandments, the law giving about this whole Kingsman Redeemer thing. And, uh, you know, this woman, uh, Ruth is very interesting. She's a Moabite. So she's outside of the genetic line of, of Israel. And yet she is named in the Matthew genealogy of Jesus Christ. I mean, out of her, through that lineage comes our Lord and Savior. So, you know, I mean, that's an incredible, powerful redemption right there. And uh, it, it mirrors the redemption that we have received through our kinsman, the Lord Jesus Christ, the man, you know, he, he, if he's some kind of half God, half man thing, or 100% man, honey, he's not our kinsman. He's something, you know, above and beyond that. But he, he isn't. He's a human being, a man 
And he's our kinsman redeemer. He's redeemed us. He paid the price. He bought us back. And, and that's, so that's the one aspect of it. But then there's this other aspect that I really wasn't very familiar with about redemption. And it's a different set of words. And it's um, a paying of a ransom. And if you think about that, the, the legal ramifications of what we're talking about, we're talking about victims of kidnapping, right? Now, kidnapping is a, in the Mosaic law, is a, is, it's a capital offense. If you take somebody's kid and hold them for ransom and you get caught, the Mosaic law says your life is forfeit. And I mean, I think that's just imagine we've got kids, you know, imagine what would happen to Franco. And I hate to, you know, even think about this, but Franco and Christina, if Gianni was kidnapped and held for ransom, I mean, the the terror that that would put them through. And this is an ongoing um, industry, criminal industry around the world. I was reading uh, just the other day how a Christian organization, I think it's the was the ACLJ, was able to secure the release of a Christian pastor, this woman who was a nurse and, and Christian pastor, and her daughter who went to Haiti and was kidnapped by criminals there, and, and they were able to release, but they had to pay a significant ransom for that. They had to be bought back. And uh, when you're held in captivity like that, there are significant psychological, mental challenges and pressures that you're put through and, it, and it, it's going to change you you're, you're a victim of kidnapping and, and i was thinking about ephesians uh you can read it uh, on your own uh, ephesians chapter two that talks about how we were all subject to the prince of the power of the air ephesians chapter 2 11 uh, says therefore remember that previously you the gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the people of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I mean, that's a bad situation to be in. You know? And, and um, we see this hopelessness in those that do not know Christ. You know, these, these poor young kids who are raised in, you know, the humanistic evolutionary thinking of uh, modern education. They have no hope. What possible hope can there be in a, some great big accidental universe that's just going to fizzle out one day anyway? Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who previously were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the hostility, which is the law composed of commandments expressed in ordinances, so that in himself he might make two, make the two one new person in this way, establishing peace, and that he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the hostility. That reconciling, bringing back, you know, if you reconcile a bone, a broken bone, you bring bring it back together, you know, and use all kinds of pins and screws and rods and so that it can heal back together. So, you know, we were all captives. We were all held captive by the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world. And we all were subjected to his uh, abuses. You know, he's a criminal, right? And think about this, our heavenly father, who is all powerful, and knows everything that can possibly be known, is put in this situation where his beloved children, these kids, they have been kidnapped from him. 
And I don't care how powerful you are. There are, there, I mean, there are, there's got to be certain feeling. I mean, the, take the most powerful man in the world, the president of the United States. If his kid is kidnapped, he's got all these resources at his availability. He's got the CIA and the NSA and the FBI and the U.S. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and he's going to send them all out there to go go get his kid. But there's still like things that he just can't, he can't control everything, right? Because these rebels, these criminals have his, has his, has his child un, in their power. And this kid returns to him and who knows what abuses have been heaped upon this child in, in kidnapping. And psychologists talk about the Stockholm syndrome and the Stockholm syndrome is the, these, these poor kidnap victims. And, and it goes back to the back in the old days of the the Bida Meinhof gang, I guess, I don't doubt if you guys know about this, but growing up in Europe as a kid, I remember these, these um, extreme Marxist terrorists that would kidnap people. And um, it happened in Sweden, Stockholm, Sweden. And, and this woman, she was kidnapped. And when she came back, she had been so influenced by her kidnappers that she was basically a, a terrorist herself. You know, that's that just models what the devil does in this world. These kids, us, we were kidnapped. We were living in the world according to the world and we were modeling the world's behavior. And Jesus paid the ransom for us and bought us back. But now there's more redemption that needs to occur. I'm not talking about the spiritual redemption. We're bought back. The price is paid. But what's going on with these effects of us living in the captivity of these awful, devilish kidnappers. You know, people think that they go through life and they're able to somehow escape the effects of the God of this world. And, you know, you tell people Jesus saves and they say, well, saves from what? I don't need saving. And you're like, well, you know, we can start off with death. You know, because the wages of sin are death and everybody's going to die. But when you're 20 years old, you don't think about stuff like that. You know, there's, there's also just the, the, the mind bending, numbing effect of living in this culture. And you come, come out of it and you come to Christ and you're saved, you're redeemed, you're bought back spiritually. But there's this whole aspect of your life that needs to get transformed into the image of God so that you can live the redemption that you have received. It's important that we understand, though, that look around at the culture in us uh, in that, that we live in, and we see the stuff that's going on in Washington, D.C., and California, L.A., California, New York City, that we don't feel powerless because I can't do anything about the streets of San Francisco or the governmental halls of Washington outside of prayer. And I don't want to uh, diminish the power of prayer in any way, shape, or form, because it is incredibly powerful. And let's never stop praying for, for this situation. But I can't go out there and witness to Joe Biden or witness to Rich Cruz, you know, or, or witness to Gavin Newsom. Maybe one day, you know, God willing. But I can witness to the guy sitting right next to me. I can speak these wonderful words of life and pro-Christ as opposed to anti-Christ words, words that will bring him hopefully into alignment. I can speak those words to myself and bring my mind into alignment and harmony with what God tells me. And this brings us to Hebrews chapter 12. 
which if you read the book of Hebrews, there's a lot in here about the law. It's written to Jewish converts. Uh, I would imagine, you know, I don't know exactly the group that Paul was writing out to, but uh, if you go into the book of Acts, late in the book of Acts, Paul ends up in Jerusalem right before he gets sold out and shipped off to Rome. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, tells him that there are many Jewish believers in Jerusalem, all of them zealous for the law. And uh, that was a problem because Jesus fulfilled the law. And uh, Hebrews kind of goes through and, 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 and kind of explains how Jesus did that and how it's a whole new program right now. And then you get through all that and explains how Jesus was made a little lower than the angels, but is now seated at the right hand of God as the eternal high priest for every last one of us, a high priest who not only was the sacrifice, but gives uh, intercession for us on an eternal basis because he never dies and how we now are numbered within the great, wonderful family of God. And then you go to uh, Hebrews 11 and you read about all the men and women, the believers of the Old Testament who stood in faith, stood in trust of God, waiting for this wonderful Savior, and they never saw him. But uh, now, in this day and time, we get to look back at the accomplished ministry of Jesus Christ and enjoy all the benefits of being these rescued, ransomed children by seed of God. So having said that, Romans 12, chapter 1 says, uh, verse 1 says, Therefore, seeing we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us also run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the leader and finisher of our trust, who, because of the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, thinking nothing of the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What an incredible man. What a hero. I, I, words are just, they have too many limits to express the magnificence of what Jesus did, the love that it took for him to endure the cross, the joy that he kept his mind focused on. What an incredible human being. What a, what a, what a champion. I mean, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, um, coming Prince of Peace, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Can't wait to meet, meet him face to face. Verse 3. Think carefully about him who has endured such opposition from sinners against himself, so that you do not grow weary, becoming exhausted in your souls. Remember what he said, if the opposition is going to treat the Lord like this, what is he going to do to the servants? Do not be amazed, surprised, or embarrassed if you are persecuted in this day and time. Verse 4. This is a convicting verse. You have not yet resisted to blood striving against sin. Jesus shed his blood, literally, literally shed his blood striving against sin, striving for us, striving for our redemption. Isaiah says that he was marred beyond recognition more than any other human being. You know, we, we all know about the six hours of suffering on the cross, a horrific death. But we forget about the 40 hours of torture and humiliation that he suffered beforehand. 
He took it all with his eyes fixed on the prize, on, on the joy that he had, knowing full well what he was trying to accomplish for us. And, you know, I say trying because, you know, he was a human being with free will. He could have at any moment tapped out. He said he had 72,000 angels at his disposal to come in and kick butt and take names, but he didn't. He didn't ring the bell. He didn't tap out. He hung in there for you and me. Verse five says, and you have completely forgotten the encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not lightly regard the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when you are reproved by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and punishes every son whom he accepts as a son. I have to pick on Franco again because he's got the prime example right in front of us here. He's fathering a young man. You know, who's, who's parenting a young man, him and Christina, husband and wife, mother and father, raising this kid. You think it's all rainbows and unicorns and fairy dust and Gianni just automatically does everything that he's supposed to do. Never cries, never grabs stuff he's not supposed to grab, never wants to go and play out in the middle of the road. What kind of father would Franco be if he just let him do whatever he wanted? That, that would be considered child abuse, right? Franco has to set some ground rules, set some boundaries, discipline his son. And here we are, we come into the family of God after all this time in captivity under the, the thumb of the, the prince of the power, the influence of the prince of the power of the air. You think we need some discipline? You think we need to unlearn? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. I can tell you that the kid that came in to the first fellowship way back in 19, what was it, 1990, somewhere like that, is very different from the man that stands, sits before you today. And some of, some of it was some hard learning. Apparently, I like to do things the hard way, <laughs> but I think we can all, all relate to that, right? Discipline and punishment. Wait a second. I thought God was a loving God. Well, he is. And sometimes we have to, you know, get our noses rubbed in it, you know, to learn a lesson here. Verse seven, it is for discipline and guidance that you must continue to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Furthermore, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we gave them reverence. Should we not submit ourselves all the more to the father of spirits and live. Now, Paul is addressing specifically uh, Judean Hebrew believers, Jewish believers who had converted to Christianity. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they were zealous for the law. Well, the law is a done deal. We're not righteous by fulfilling the law. In fact, nobody ever was. And he's telling them, look, you know, you need some discipline here. You need to get your act together and give up this stuff. Verse 10, for they indeed disciplined us, the earthly fathers, for a few days in ways that seemed good to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our profit so that we can be partakers of his holiness. A couple of things spring to mind when I, when I read this. Romans 8 that says all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose right? All things, all things worked. You can go through hell. I've been through hell and come out on the other side. And God has turned those lemons into lemonade because I've learned something, something absolutely liberating and delivering in my life. 
And I forget what the other thing was. Oh, partakers of his holiness. Because God is transforming us into his own image. When, when it says that God made man in his own image, we all have the potential to image God. But we live in a fallen world and we have sin nature. And so it's going to take work and effort to image our heavenly father as the Lord Jesus Christ did perfectly. Verse 12. These verses are very, very big in my life. Therefore, lift up the hands that hang down and strengthen the weak knees. I have very bad knees, physically bad arthritis in my knees. And make straight paths for your feet so that the limb that is lame is not put out of joint, but is rather is healed. So stay on the straight path if you got bad knees so that you don't trip and fall and end up with your knee out of place. Right now, I'm still on the mats. I'm still training. But let me tell you, I had to modify what I do out there because my knees can't take it. Now, if we apply that to the spiritual life, don't put yourself in situations where you're going to get in trouble if you've got weaknesses there. Remember, it said, put aside every weight and sin. You know, the weights can be stuff that just are, you know, inclinations, temptations, don't put yourself in situations like that. You know, I'll, I'll confess something to you. I, I, I'm here in uh, Nebraska, and there's all this what they call ditch weed around here. There are cannabis plants, marijuana plants growing everywhere, everywhere. And if I had known that, I would have thought twice about coming out here because me and cannabis, Mary Jane, we've had a longstanding relationship. But I'm, I'm pleased to report that after you know, 30 years in the word, it's really not the temptation that it was. But if I was here maybe 20 years ago, yeah, that might have been a serious problem. So, you know, in that light, you know, I wouldn't want to put myself off of the straight path because my knees aren't strong enough to take it, to extend the analogy. So, you know, just make lifestyle changes that won't put you in positions where the devil can get a hold on you. And he will because he's merciless. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. That's his whole job. He just wants to mess you up and screw you over. I hate him. And you should too. Verse 14, diligently pursue peace with everyone and pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Holiness. You are holy. You're saints. But this is the holiness of the transformed renewed mind that is imaging God, you know, and diligently pursue peace. Sometimes there's stuff we just can't make peace with, but we, we can work with it. I mean, I'd be quite happy if those people wanted to just stay in California and do their whole thing and just, just do it. California, New York City, go do your own, whatever, reap your own rewards of that. But that's not what's happening, right? It's spilling over into laws that affect the entire country and that's a problem for me, and it should be a problem for you. It's not that we're not willing to live and let live. It's that they just want us to conform to their sin, and none of us want to do that. Watch over others, 15, so that no one is falling away from the grace of God. And that's important, and that's a big part of fellowship. Watch over me. Help me. I need your help. If you see stuff in my life, call me out on it. Hopefully, I'm coachable enough, humble enough that I won't get upset about it. Or even if I do get upset about it, at least see the truth of the word that you are sharing with me. 
so that no root of bitterness sprouts up and causes trouble. Resentment is a big deal. Lack of forgiveness. Don't let it germinate in your life. And by it, many become defiled, and so that there be no sexual immoral, immor- immoral or worldly-minded person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know, now check this out, that even when he afterwards wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no opportunity for his repentance. He repented, but there was no opportunity for it, though he sought it diligently with tears, because there are consequences for sin. Gary taught on the fear of God. God isn't bringing those consequences. He's he's giving you stern warning against them. And if you screw up and sin, there may well be irreparable, irreversible consequences. Now, not talking about losing salvation. That's not possible in this day and time. Please do not confuse what I'm saying with that. But I am talking about trouble, pressure, problems, stuff that will distract you from the ministry that you have been called to. Do not allow the devil to get into your life like that. There's a lot at stake here, folks. A lot at stake. Look how small a group we are. How many people do you think know the accuracy of the word of God like we know it? And this isn't elitism. This is just facts. You are precious, important, vital. Do not allow the adversary to derail you with his tricks and his temptations. Verse 18. For you have not come to that which can be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and storm and the voice of the trumpet and the voice, a sound of the trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further word should be spoken to them. For they could not bear what was commanded. If even, if even an animal touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am terrified and trembling. That's talking about the giving of the law and the mountain that Moses went up and down seven times. We didn't come to that. That's not where we're at. On the contrary, verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion, that is to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an uncountable number of angels who are gathered for a festival and to the church of the firstborn one firstborn ones whose names have been past tense written in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of righteous people who have finished their race and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that is speaking better than the blood of Abel the accomplished reality of the full redemption that is available to us in Jesus Christ. That is where we're at. You know, God is talking in past tense of things that are going to happen in the future because that is how certain their occurrence is. The heavenly Jerusalem, the new city of gold that will come down from heaven, you can read about it in Jerusalem, is going to happen. And there's nothing the devil can do to stop it. Isn't that something to hold on to and believe? Verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused the one who warned them from the earth, how much more will we not escape, we who turn away from him who warns from heaven? At that time, talking, going back to the giving of law in uh, Exodus, I think you'll find it, 
at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised saying at once, yet once more, I will make to tremble not only the earth, but also the heavens. And this word yet once more points to the removing of those things that can be shaken. That is things that have been made so that those things that cannot be shaken will remain. Reminds me of the of the parable of the man who builds his, ha- his house on the sand. Don't build your house on the sand. Build your house on that which cannot be shaken. Because there's a day coming where the whole creation will be shaken and all the loosey-goosey stuff's going to get thrown out. And the stuff that is solid and true and right and pro-Christ is going to remain. Verse 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. A lot of great prayers of thankfulness today by which we may offer acceptable service to God with reverent submission and awe. Awe as in awesome for indeed. Our God is a consuming fire. Keep showing affection for God's family. Wait, let's go back to that. Our God is a consuming fire, a consuming fire. You know, the rainbow, which has been hijacked by the LGBTQ alphabet people, is a symbol that God will no longer destroy the world with a flood of water. But he's still got fire and it's coming. It's coming. We need to let people know. Do not forget to show love to strangers, for by doing this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as if you were in prison with them, those who are mistreated as if you yourselves also were also suffering bodily. Spiritual eyes. We need to look at things with spiritual eyes. The big picture is not the communist plot. It's not the Islamic caliphate. It's not the LGBTQ agenda. It is the devil's war against everything that is Christian. And that's how we need to look. It's a spiritual battle. Verse four, marriage must be held in honor by everyone. And the marriage bed must be undefiled for sexually immoral people and adulterers. God will judge. Man, do we need to get back to the idea of marriage and sex within marriage only and families, you know? Verse five, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will absolutely not fail you and I will absolutely not forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We live in a prosperous, prosperous nation. You know, we have jars of money, change jars, because it's too inconvenient to carry all that heavy money around. Oh, oh, how do we live with ourselves? You know, and there are other people in this world that would can wash your windows for that 25 cents. There are people that live this every day in this world, and we, we need to think about them. We need to support them, too, and there are ways that you can do that. You know, you got a change jar, you got extra money living around. Well, there are ministries out there that, that are spend their entire, every dime they have on supporting those in persecuted countries, poor countries. Verse 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Carefully observe the outcome of their lives and imitate their trust. Yeah, carefully observe them, you know, because they should be modeling Christ. And if they're not, somebody needs to call them out. That's everybody's job because there's nobody that is so spiritually high 
that they no longer have to obey what the word says. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. There's not a new agenda. There's no such thing as progressive Christianity. Christianity doesn't progress in doctrine. Stupid. Verse 9, do not be carried away by various and strange teachings, for it is good for your hearts to be established by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those who stay occupied with them. And this goes back in a lot of ways to those that observe the law. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. For this reason, Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he would make the people holy through his own blood. Do you see how the Apostle Paul is always bringing it back to Jesus, bringing it back to Jesus? That's how we got to live. Bring it back to Jesus. But we do not have a permanent city here. This is not our permanent home, but we are seeking the city that is to come. Keep your eyes fixed on that coming city. Through him, then, let us offer up a sacrifice of praise. So wonderful to hear your praise, hear Christina sing this morning. Just awesome. To God continually, that is the fruits of lips that make confession to his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Yield to those who are leading you and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That should be sobering. You want to lead? You want to oversee? You're going to have to give an account. Let them do that with joy and not with groaning, for that is of no advantage to you. Keep praying for us, for we are persuaded that we have a good conscience because we desire to live honorably in all things. And I especially urge you to do this so that I can be restored to you the sooner. Now, may the God of peace, who brought up the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus, from among the dead, in connection with the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's my prayer for you. That's Jesus's prayer for you. That's our prayer for each other. May we be fully equipped, fully like Christ, and live lives that are pleasing to God. Amen. 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 God bless you. Life I have been called unworthy Named by the voice of my shame and regret But when I heard you whisper Child, lift up your head I remember, oh God, you're not done with me
these heavy chains and wipe away every stain Cause I'm not who I used to be I am redeemed You set me Redeem.